0: Welcome to Greenlit, the Buffalo 8 Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Helderman, and each week we're going to dive into a different piece of content, film and television, and we're going to talk with some of the biggest names in front of and behind the camera as we dive deep into how they were financed, produced, developed, marketed, and the crazy stories behind how many of them got made. Welcome back to Greenlit, the Buffalo 8 podcast. Uh, Today I'm chatting with Paul Bales. Uh, Paul is one of the partners of the Los Angeles based company, The Asylum. They're known most for sort of these mock you busters or the low budget blockbuster content. Um, We've worked with Paul a number of times over the years on projects like Sharknado, which will ultimately be the focus of this episode. Uh, Paul's background, you know, working at SAG for a number of years, the Screen Actors Guild, and also producing a lot of low-budget content, uh, as in hundreds of movies, um, is really fascinating for a conversation. Uh, Paul's a great guy. We've enjoyed working with him over the years and watching their company grow. Um, as you'll hear him say in this podcast, a lot of people think of them as sort of this one-trick pony overnight success. But Paul's a really fascinating guy, and the, the folks at the asylum have done a really nice job of transitioning their business into television. So without further ado, uh, enjoy this conversation with our friend and colleague, Paul Bales. Today, I'm joined with uh, an old friend, Paul Bales from The Asylum. And Paul, thanks for carving out this time. Happy to be here. I know we, we all have uh, more time on our hands than we usually do. So appreciate you jumping on for a little bit. We've, uh, we've been fortunate enough over the years to work with the Asylum on a number of projects. Fortunate is one way yes. to put it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. D- depends, how, depends how nice we want to be to each other on this podcast. Uh, but, but I'd say Sharknado has always been sort of the big flag in the ground, certainly a, the biggest project we've worked on together. And obviously, it went on to sort of be its own uh, tidal wave afterwards. And so I think just sort of by way of, mm-hmm. of setting us up for the conversation today... Tell us about how Sharknado got greenlit and the story of that project. All right, sure. Well, you know, the asylum uh, has been
1: around for almost 22 years. And I, I uh, I think we were around for 15 years before Sharknado. Uh, came along, so you know we were overnight success. Uh, Fifteen years later, um, but Sharknado came about because we had started to make um, films for the Sci-Fi Network. Uh, first, we'd sold them probably about fifty movies that uh, that had already been made, and and you know we were really trying to get into that production model with them. And, uh, we, we did it, I think around 2010, uh, our first sci-fi film was a film called mega fault, uh, starring Brittany Murphy it was one of her last films and, uh, it, it, it rated very well. And so they, they allowed us to continue making movies for them. And the way it would work with sci-fi, uh, at the time is that, you know, we'd just pitch ideas and they'd heard <laughs> a million of them. I mean, I, the first, when we first started working with them. We created this pitch book of 50 ideas and uh, they went through it and they go, yeah, we did that one. We did that one. We're, we're doing this one. That one's already been made so on and so forth. Uh, and, and finally found one that they could, uh, they could take. But then one, one day we, we developed a, a story that we called shark storm and it was essentially sharknado and we pitched it to sci-fi and they said, uh, we love this, but that's not the title. Uh, the title is sharknado. And yeah. where that came from is um, Anthony Ferrante, who directed all of the Sharknado movies, had actually written uh, a, a film for sci-fi. I think it was one of the Leprechaun films. And in that film, uh, they reference a fake movie, a movie that didn't exist, called Sharknado. And sci-fi just always kept that title in the back of their heads. And when we pitched the story, they said, this matches. And, and that's, that's where it came from.
0: I love it. I love it. And so, all right, so now you go in, you pitch it. Sci-Fi wants to do it. What's the process of going from there to getting it into production? Obviously the first one, super low budget. No, mm-hmm. you, had, you had, you had no crazy expectations that this thing was going to no, be, nothing- uh, None I mean. at all,
1: oh none at all, in fact, as I've said before we made we've made Sharknados twenty times uh before <laughs> right. the first one I mean it was the same you know the the budgets are very low on the or relatively low on these productions, and you know it's just crazy concepts that you know work on the sci fi channel uh so we didn't have any expectations about this at all. you know we thought it was just another one of these uh, these movies that was going to um, air but I think what it had going for it was uh, a crazy title and that celebrities started tweeting about it. I, and right. it's really as simple as that. I mean if if, you know, Mia Farrow and uh, Philip Roth and and you know, all the late night comedian hosts had not been tweeting about this thing, I don't think it would have been what it was, but I'm I'm grateful.
0: <laughs> so, 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 so it's out, you get you get it made. You sort of. Did was it was it here in LA the first one? That you yeah, shot?
1: we filmed. Yeah, we shot the first one in LA um, it, during the winter. Um, yep. You know, it's supposed to take place in July, as all of them did, <laughs> and we made every single one of them in the winter, uh, which was not horrible in uh, in Los Angeles, except for the scene where um, we had to flood uh, Tara Reed's house, and uh, the way that was done, which I I thought was ingenious, is uh, the production crew built. The house set inside an empty swimming pool, and yes. then filled the pool. Uh, and uh, but that was you know in the middle of the night in uh, January of twenty twelve or, so, or twenty thirteen or something like that. And I, I, I guess it was very cold. I wouldn't know because I'm just the producer. I stay home. <laughs>
0: Got it. And so you guys, you, it comes out on sci fi. And when was the first inkling? I know you say when people started tweeting, and at that point it took on a life of its own. Did sci fi contact you guys and say, hey, this thing's different than the other ones we've been doing with you? When only, was that a sense?
1: You know, only after the fact. But I will say that, um, you know, I turned on my computer as it was airing and saw the Twitter starting to blow up, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and suddenly it's trending. And I went to bed that night thinking uh, our lives (laughs) have changed. Uh, And sure enough, um, you know, they did. I mean, you know, uh, sci-fi context, immediately they wanted uh, to do a theatrical uh, release of the film. It did um, I think a hundred (laughs) cities you you know, after it had been on sci-fi. And, uh, you know, it it just, the the rest went from there. And, And then the support that you know, sci-fi gave uh, gave the rest of the the series was amazing. I mean, more than you know, more than we'd seen up to that point, more than we've seen since. Uh, you know, all the way through six, where you know they'd put advertising toward it, and um, you know, getting a um, you know. A, 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 uh, product placement and and things like that, and they they really supported the the series up until the end. So it was yeah, I, cool. I
0: I I remember being at a comic con in like 2015, 2016 ish, and I remember you guys were promoting number two, mm-hmm. uh, and there were people dressed in sharks uh, costumes that the Sci-Fi Network was was paying for this like very public, very experiential marketing mm-hmm. campaign. And they were everywhere, all over Comic-Con, totally crazy. And like you've said, they recognized, sci-fi network, that this was something different. That even for them, I feel like their lives, quote unquote, changed in the sense that all of a sudden they had this hit. How fast did they order number two? Was it it similar in terms of just the snowball effect thereafter all the way through? I know the, the series has sort of recently wrapped up Hmm.
1: Uh, yeah. It, it, they. Yeah, so the number two happened immediately, and you know, and the same thing happened for each of the sequels after that. Uh, the the only condition on number two um, was that they insisted that it, that it be made in New York City, which is where uh, they were based. Uh, and that was an experience. Um, New York City is an expensive, they, you know, Los Angeles is considered expensive, but it's nothing uh, like New York. And, uh, and again, shooting a summer film in the middle of winter in New York is a different experience than shooting a summer film in the winter in Los Angeles. Uh, but, uh, but I'm happy to say that the, the budget uh, was significantly higher uh, for, yeah. season, for season two. And that's another one of the good things that came about of the success of, of the first one.
0: That's excellent that's excellent. How much do you think sort of now looking back over what was it Paul, was it seven years of, of your lives in mm-hmm. the series yeah about that yeah during those seven years how much changed I, I know the, the business changed significantly I mean mm-hmm. Sharknado one was like early days of Netflix streaming and Netflix originals uh, it was before the days of people wanting more television or serialized content as opposed to independent film content
1: mm-hmm.
0: you, you mentioned the asylum having been around for 15 years, give or take, before Sharknado. Uh, And I love the quip about overnight success, which is so true, that people just Mm -hmm. think these things come out of thin air. How much changed? What changed the most during those seven years? Forgetting that, obviously, Mm -hmm. now you guys had this sort of recognizable hit. What changed in the business at large that made the asylum have to pivot or re-strategize?
1: Well, uh, so many ways, but, you know... it, it, it's, sort of the, the, it's sort of the history of independent filmmaking and independent filmmakers that we always have to pivot. You know, when the asylum first began, uh, probably, you know, 60, 70% of our revenue was based on home video rental business, the Hollywoods and blockbuster videos, may they rest in peace. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that business completely disappeared almost overnight. Um, and, uh, you know, the good news is that we kind of saw it coming. And so that's when we started to transition to doing television. Mm -hmm. Um, but it it was, it's tough because our movies, I mean, up to the day that blockbuster went out of business, you know, they would report very well about how the films were doing and the films were doing as well as they were the, you know, five years earlier up to the Mm -hmm. day that blockbuster went out of business. So for us, it was the question of where did the audience go? And uh, at first, it looked really good for us. And and around the same time that we were making the the first Sharknado film, uh, VOD, um, meaning the the traditional VOD that you get on your cable box, uh, really seemed to be uh, where the audience went. Mm -hmm. And um, the first couple of years, we did very well on this traditional VOD platforms because... All of, the, um, all of the platforms just listed movie titles alphabetically. And so, you know, they, they've done a, a study and they found out that Americans in particular will not go past the letter L. So we, <laughs> it's true. So we would just title our movies with a number uh, or the letter A. And so, you know, if you look at our library, you'll see this very large number of our movie titles that, you know, they start 2010 Moby Dick uh or you know uh, some other titled or apocalypse uh and you know we were just killing i mean literally we were making as much money on the VOD platforms as we were from the home video unfortunately those platforms became a little more sophisticated uh right. and they started uh, curating uh that uh, those spaces and they would no longer list them alphabetically and then it would become Uh, trays of you know in theaters now or new and noteworthy and uh you know this great business for us almost immediately disappeared because Mm. you know again americans are lazy and they don't want to go through five different pages to find something that they want to see Uh, and so uh you know that's that for us really made us gear up more and more to television productions Mm. and so in addition to sci-fi we started doing lifetime movies, as you know, um, yep. and uh, you know we did uh, uh, an Animal Planet movie, uh, and you know, really just doing much, much more of uh, of the the TV movies. And then, uh, happy to say that um, I call it our reward for Sharknado is uh, Sci-Fi gave us our first television series, which was a series that ran for five years called Z Nation. And, um, you know, it, it did very well all through the five seasons, but they decided at the end, they didn't want it to continue. But, uh, Z Nation, uh, ended up, uh, getting us, uh, a spinoff of that series, which premiered last year on Netflix, uh, called Black Summer. And, you know, so we've been, you know, gearing much more toward serialized television. Just, uh, it's really what we're trying to do much more of because there are so few, uh, platforms anymore that that make long form TV movies. The sci-fi doesn't even do it anymore. They may be one or two or three or four a year, whereas they used to do, you know, 25. Uh, And, uh, you know, lifetime business is still good. Um, Hallmark, if we can get it, we've done one Hallmark movie. Uh, And there are a few other smaller networks that are doing TV movies, but for the most part, um, that's businesses, you know, shrinking as well. Um, so, you know, we're trying to do more series. Uh, that's the thing that we're working on most of all, but Mm -hmm. I will say a a nice bright spot that's come in for us is, um, a VOD platforms like the Tubi and Pluto and, uh, Roku and, and so on and so forth. Um, they're sort of the wild West that VOD used to be. Uh, and, um, it's been a, a nice bright spot. in in the market is that, you know, while we're working to get new television series and and make these TV movies that the library titles, some of these titles going back to, you know, the earliest days of the asylum uh, are really making some, some nice revenue based on these uh, advertising supported uh, VOD platforms. Uh, And it's great because, you know, I guess kids today don't mind watching commercials. You know, it's an afterthought to to me. I mean, that's the last thing I want to do. But you know, for them, it's watching movies for free, and they have to watch a couple of commercials. And it's uh, it's been really nice for us. And uh, ironically, uh, it's been really nice during this pandemic um, right. because so many people are home that the unintended consequence is that they have a lot more time to watch shitty movies.
0: <laughs> so while we're talking about watch shitty movies, so how big is the Asylum Library? How many titles total? uh we have not counting the series we have
1: about 300 movies and okay. uh uh z nation is 56 episodes and and eight of black summer so it's uh, you know i it, you know it's nothing like the you know the old home video uh, libraries that uh, that are out there somewhere but yeah it's pretty hefty and uh you know it like i said it's very nice when we can take these uh, old films that we thought had you know run their course and now they have this whole other life on these, uh, free advertising based, uh, VOD platforms, uh, you know, uh, our, our, classic Titanic 2 um, you know, uh, is, is killing on VOD, uh, on ABOD. And so that's really nice, you know, because the expenses, you know, we've, we've hopefully incurred everything and, you know, it's, it's a nice, nice little gravy.
0: That's great. That's great. Do you, do you know off, off, off the top of your head how big the Roger Corman library is? When I think about you guys, mm-hmm. And I think about when we came into this business and we're building Bondit and Buffalo 8, uh, I had so many friends who had worked or line produced or PA'd or production coordinated or done posts on Asylum movies. That are now, And I'm sure you guys know way better than I do that this sure. sort of uh, alumni network that you guys have, people are all over the entertainment business. From yeah. executives at places like Amazon to agents to big producers uh, to I'm sure many people who are no longer in the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious... It always felt to me like you were building the modern day Corman business. Yeah, was that, that, was that strategy, or how how did it all come about?
1: Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, it it was the strategy. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, the I have two partners, David and David, and and we all um, got to have lunch with Roger. One time, and he was very sweet, but I have to uh, I have to say that I, I I got the sense that he didn't appreciate the comparisons as much as as we, <laughs> as we did. But but he was very he's a, he is a gentleman, and uh, you know this was seven eight years ago, and he what struck me is how up to date he was on everything yeah. in the industry. Um, yeah. and you know, he was, he was not resting on laurels. He was about what is the thing that's coming up now. Wow. It's so exciting. Uh, that sort of, that has strategy for us to pursue that, um, that element, you know, he, but he was, a you know, he came up in a whole different world where it was theatrical, you know, where he was making theatrical films and releasing theatrical films. And for us, you know, uh, it's, it's always been the, the home entertainment, Um, but, you know, the asylum was founded on, uh, you know, a couple of, um, a couple of, uh, you know, rules or, or, or strategies. The first one is that we don't make what we want to make. We make what our buyers want us to make. And Mm -hmm. so from the beginning and up until now, we, you know, it used to be, we'd go to Dallas, Texas every couple of weeks to visit the, the powers that be at Blockbuster and say, what's working? What do you need more of? And mm-hmm. they would tell us, and we would make that. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with television and the and, you know streaming platforms. It's you know, uh, you, you know, we're not precious about you know because we've had the long term goal of staying in business and making movies for as long as we can. We figure the first rule is is um, do what your buyers want uh, and give them what they want. Uh, <laughs> the second rule, and this is very controversial, is we only make the movies for less than we know we can get back.
0: <laughs> you have to love that in this business that that is... Because you're, you're, you're joking somewhat, but you're yes. really not, right? I mean, I think there's so many people that I don't even understand what they think they're making. Like what, I don't understand the value they think they're getting out of these movies. When you're in the business you're in, or you're in the business we're in of financing content, mm-hmm. you get to see, unfortunately, at times, very crudely, how little value certain pieces of content, or said, said more truthfully, most pieces of content actually hold. It's true. You know, right. I, I, as you may
1: know, before I went to the asylum, I, I worked at, first at Screen Actors Guild for almost five years, and then I ran their SAG Indie program for yeah. another close to five years. And so in that experience of you know almost a decade, I saw films at all levels uh, getting produced, getting made. And, uh, you know, my figures are, are, you know, 15, 16 years old, uh, so they're, they're no longer accurate. But at the time, it was something like 10% of the movies that got signed at SAG, um, ever made any money. And something like 1% made the money back right. for the productions that, uh, that they did. And, you know, so, <laughs> When I went to the asylum, I go, well, here's the key. I'm not going to try to make anything good. Uh, <laughs> I will only make things that will make money. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm partially joking, but, you know, I've definitely found, and this is uh, very cynical, but I, I feel I've earned my cynicism, is, uh, you know, quality has very little to do with the equation of uh, success or not success. You know, I um, helped shepherd brilliant movies, um, you know, that uh, never saw the light of day, that are sitting Mm -hmm. in someone's closet right now. That you know, I I thought they were fantastic films and fantastic filmmakers, but they just, either they weren't commercial or they didn't know the right people or they made them for too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, and and that is sad. Um, You know, I I sat in those rooms, uh, you know, as a SAG rep, And, you know, I'm talking to a filmmaker who it becomes clear in the conversation that they're mortgaging their house, uh, to make their movie. And, you know, knowing what I know that the likelihood is that it's going to sit in a closet somewhere, it's very discouraging. Um, but I still say, make your movie (laughs) just understand, (laughs) but just understand going into it, you know, what, what your expectations are. I mean, if your idea is to make art, make art. Um, but but don't make it expensive yeah
0: what's the third principle paul you, you, <laughs> the first two are really great i'm curious if there are more <laughs> hmm, let's see um i like uh, i like the idea that the third principle is don't make anything that's good just make things that are gonna yeah. Yeah. Make money.
1: I'll, I'll leave it there that's it <laughs> or sharks sharks are that's right. always
0: <laughs> uh, shifting gears Could there be another... And I I want to come back to Sharknado as a Mm -hmm. franchise. I just mean Sharknado as a case study of a successful film that breaks out. If you were to expect or hope to do something like that again, what would have to happen differently?
1: Mm.
0: Obviously, it wouldn't be Sci-Fi Network, like you've said, because they're not really in that business anymore. Um, Social is such a big piece of it now. The cult of it all.
1: Hmm. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't, um, I, I can't imagine, you know, the, the networks that are left making TV movies are, you know, such a specific, such specific genres, essentially it's women in peril or Christmas movies. <laughs> um, and I, I, just don't know if you're going to break the mold, uh, you know, on either of those uh, genres that, that, that anything's going to, going to break, break out like that. Uh, i I think that it could happen in a shorter form and and when i say short form i'm not talking about the you know the five minute micro movies but you know uh, t v series uh or streaming series uh you know i I definitely think you know we could see um you know some breakouts coming in that way, whether they'll come from us or not who knows it's uh you know t v series as we've learned it's a uh, Uh, it's a lot different than making movies because, uh, you know, the cost outlays are so big, uh, you know, at the, at the very beginning, uh, that, uh, you know, it's, it's tough, but, you know, we, we talk about, you know, could we make, could we use the asylum model and make a series? And we believe that we could, um, we just need to convince somebody to give us the money to do
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and bond <laughs> <laughs> it, maybe. sounds about right. It sounds like a phone call I'll be getting in a couple of weeks from, uh, from one of you. What are you guys working on now, Paul, that you're excited about? I know television as just sort of a, a whole is, is where the focus seems to be trending. Mm-hmm. But is there any project in particular you're, you want to talk about or you can talk about that's something you guys are excited about?
1: Hmm. hmm. What, what is the latest piece of shit that we're working on? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if ex- excitement is, uh, is, is what I would describe it as. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that we, just like everybody else, is looking at what does this new world look like? Yeah. And uh, in the first couple of weeks of uh, stay-at-home orders, we instructed all of our writers to start uh, writing the scripts in pandemic uh, environments so that, you know, everybody's wearing masks and, you know, you have as few cast of characters as possible. Right. And uh, it's going to be interesting in a couple of years of what uh, comes out, either from us or, or from, uh, you know, other production companies of, you know, yeah. the
0: new normal. You have a, you have an incredible... You always have, and so have your partners. And I think anyone that knows you guys knows that you have just an incredible uh, self-deprecating humor and awareness about what the asylum is, what the asylum isn't. And that's really why it's been successful. Did, were you guys ever upset or hurt by any nasty press or people attacking the business <laughs> model or the movies? Or I, I, To me, I always got it from a business perspective. Like, right. I'm someone... Similarly to you, who I really love film, and I love art, but I really love business, and I love building something that is a real business. And this is an industry where oftentimes those two things are seriously at friction with one another. Mm-hmm. From your perspective, were you guys ever hurt? Was there ever an unbelievably funny review? Or <laughs> I'm sure there's many <laughs> oh, there things been, you guys were doing.
1: There have been many. Um, you know, I, Early on, when I uh, first started the asylum, I remember getting uh, an email from somebody Uh, Who who wrote and said uh, this movie was so terrible. I hope that you and your family die in a fire (laughs) Okay, um, you know and and for me, no, it did not hurt my feelings because I thought boy if people are this worried about, you know Crappy popcorn movies then they've got bigger problems than I do Um, But I I I will say, uh, you know Just sort of the opposite rather than being hurt by any of that what i've been um, happy about is you know, fifteen years ago it used to be really cool to hate the asylum uh yeah. and just t- talk about how terrible they were. And and about fifteen years ago it started of to change and, and people I don't know whether it's that they got it, because I don't know if there's anything to get. Um, you know, we're just hacks uh making um <laughs> uh, making crap. Um but um but 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 you know, I think people appreciated that uh, you know, what we're really just trying to do is make fun movies that you don't have to think about. Um, and, uh, and it really became uh, more cool to like the asylum than hate the asylum. And so that, you know, rather than worrying about when the reviews were bad or the IMDB scores were terrible, which they still are, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it became, you know, you're either in on the joke or you're not.
0: And I right. think really it's better to be in on the joke. Yeah, no, it's well said. It's well said. Well, coming back to Sharknado, I remember, I, I, I want to leave the answer to you, and I won't spill anything because I don't know what I can or can't say or should or shouldn't say. I remember you telling me at one okay. point there were discussions about what the next chapter in Sharknado's life could be or maybe one day would be. I don't know if that ever went any further. I don't um, know if there's a story you can tell there. Or if uh, you know, there 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 are a couple.
1: There are a couple because we think you know for obvious reasons uh, you know it's it's kept us in business for a couple of years uh you know we think that there's still life in this franchise and um there all, I can tell you about three potential projects that are all still you know that we're still pursuing but uh, you know looking for help on this too whether it be from bonded or from any of the other people that will appear on these podcasts uh but the yeah. first one and the one that that was most far along is we actually um, were approached by uh, Caesar's Entertainment in Las Vegas about doing a live musical version of Sharknado, <laughs> and uh, that um, you know was going along pretty well and was uh, moving along nicely until a certain pandemic hit, and you know, yeah, ho- hopefully Las Vegas will survive uh, th- that change. But but that's something that we we uh, continue to pursue and we'll do that. Uh, we also found. Um, you know, the the only time we've had any sort of significant um, uh, merchandising on a project has been Sharknado. And when I say significant, it's like more than $10. Um, <laughs> but, um, but one thing that we found really was the sweet spot is um, boys' pajamas. Um, Walmart was selling boys' Sharknado pajamas, and they sold out immediately. And, uh, you know, going to the Comic-Cons and things like that, you know, I, I think... I think all ages appreciate um, Sharknado, but I think preteen boys of any age <laughs> are, are are probably the, the the key. So we think that a, an animated Sharknado series would be a nice addition. Uh, mm. uh, and then, of course, we also and I think this is what you were referring to, what we've been talking about is uh, we'd love to do a reboot. Um, uh, you know, with studio level. Um, yeah, cast and studio level budgets and and uh, you know so if you're out there with billions of dollars Jeff <laughs> Bezos um, <laughs> Chardonnay
0: reboot can be yours I love it Paul I love it well I usually end these discussions by saying uh, what, you know, what changed or what would you have done differently to get this project greenlit now versus then but you've largely answered it And so maybe it's more so what advice or what sort of uh, insight would you offer? Having written a pretty long and uh, really interesting series of chapters over over your career, what advice would you offer to yourself looking back when you guys started Asylum early days, knowing what you know about it now and knowing what you know about the business today?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm only half joking. Um, when, uh, I say that if I were giving advice to somebody now, I would not take the path that we've taken because it doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think, um, people should do and nobody ever takes me up on this advice. And I've said it at many, many panels is start a YouTube channel. Um, and, uh, uh you know, the cost for entry is very low. Uh, If it hits, it can really hit and make a big difference. Uh, And, uh, you know, then if you're good, if you have talent and and have a unique voice, then Hollywood is going to find you. But even if they don't, you're going to be creative and you're going to be creating and uh, do what you do. Um, You know, I came to this conclusion when my daughters, who are, you know, six and eight, you know, they would watch YouTube all the day and they were just mm-hmm. watching videos of people opening up toys. Right, and, yes. And I, thought, uh, Oh my God, you're putting me out of business. But, I, <laughs> but then when you find out that these people who are making these videos are making a significant amount of money so much so that they don't want to leave their houses. Um, that, uh, you know, that, that for me is the advice I would give somebody is get on to, you know, get onto these, uh, video platforms, uh, with something creative and unique and fun. And, you know, if you don't, if you're not able to make a living at it, at the very least, um, you're, you're going to be creative and you're going to be creating something. Uh, and that's the main advice I would give people. But then I'd also say, uh, the one thing about the asylum, uh, you, you know, is you just keep doing it. As long as you can, um, you know. As we started off talking about the overnight success, I mean, it literally came 15 years after the company had founded, and the company had made over 100 movies at that point. And uh, you know, so there's an argument to be made that uh, um, you know we were nothing until Sharknado, but uh, but you know we were doing what we loved, and uh, you know we have this library that, uh, you know, it's paying off now. And, and, you know, that wouldn't have happened if we'd, you know, given up in 2012 before Sharknado. Mm.
0: Were there, and this is, this is sort of a serious question, but were there, were there considerations, were there moments, I'm sure, where it was tough, it was tough going building that business, and there were moments where it felt like it made, it made more sense to go do something else, and had you not stuck it out, you wouldn't have seen through the other side of that tunnel.
1: Yeah, you know, no question. I mean, um, you know, I I think the first time that 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 came about, as we talked about, was when the video uh, rental business collapsed. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, um, know, Blockbuster and Hollywood, which were the two main uh, chains, owed us, you know, six figures, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, when they went bankrupt. And, of course, we never saw any of that. Uh, and you know, there were definitely moments at that time of going, can we continue? Uh, but, uh, you know, fortunately, um, we'd done the legwork, uh, with sci-fi to, you know, get TV movies, uh, going and, and, you know, but it, it, but if the timing had not worked out, yeah, that would have been a, a moment of, you know, what are we going to do?
0: Was, was Blockbuster, were they pre-buying content or was it all just a revenue share based on the activity in the store's? Um, It was revenue share. um, But as I said,
1: we didn't move without their approval. You know, we would literally go, we'd go to Dallas all the time. I love the town. Uh, And we'd meet with them and we'd say, we're thinking about this, 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 and this. And they go, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. That'll work. Uh, That won't work. Um, Don't do that. Usually we followed their advice. Uh, And, uh, and, and we did the same thing up in Portland with, uh, with uh, Hollywood video. And, you know, that's, uh, how we made it. So in a, in, in a way they sort of were pre-buys because we wouldn't make them until we knew that it was going to work. And, you know, the revenue, revenue share model was, uh, was great. Uh, you know, it was, we missed those
0: days so much. <laughs> well, it sounds, it's, it sounds like they were way more fair in ter- and, and honest in terms of their reporting than people that do a rev share these days.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. And, Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little frightening. And I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to finger specifically any companies that we do business with now. But you know, it's, it's challenging when they can unilaterally change the terms of the revenue sharing or the, you know, however the payments are made. And that's happened a couple of times with, you know, companies that we're doing business with where, you know, the revenue from one month can drop 50%. You know, just because, you know, decided that they need a bigger piece or whatever the the decision making comes from that. But, um, you know, so but but the good thing and and I kind of alluded to this earlier with um, with independent production companies and independent producers in general is we have to be nimble and we have to be able to change on a dime. And we've done it now, as I described, you know, three, four times just in the time that I've been with the asylum, which is 16, almost 17 years, um, you know, we've had to change our business model completely. And, you know, the studios are always going to be fine um, because they have more money than God. But, uh, but, you know, they don't have to and they can't uh, change, you know, the way that they're doing business. But if you're an indie, you have to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I'm confident that we'll be able to, uh, you know, pivot to whatever the next new thing, you know, the kids are watching, you know, movies on their watch. Um. <laughs> Seriously,
0: yeah. I'm curious, did you guys, with that big library, and with the fact that you've been able to reinvent yourselves, did you ever think about launching your own VOD platform where you'd be direct to your own consumer, direct to your own audience? Um,
1: you know, we thought of it, but we're really lazy. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, it, it's it's really never been anything that we pursued, but I will say, at least for the time being, that on the major AVOD platforms, the channels are specifically geared toward the asylum. Um, you know, they're, they're the asylum channel on Pluto TV and so on and so forth. And, you know, I, I always worry about the studios and how they're going to screw us, uh these platforms and eventually it's coming but you know it's just our job to keep an eye on it and figure out what you know we're going to you know do uh, when changes uh, when changes start to happen Um, but yeah you know we think that you know even though it's they're not our VOD platforms because they're so geared toward the asylum and are known as the asylum and again knocking wood presently are working that way Um, You know, we've been told by some of these platforms that our channels are some of the most successful, which is nice to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing that we're looking at, and, you know, again, we're very lazy, so we haven't gotten too far, but really starting to think about can we program specifically for these platforms? You know, know, why don't we do a TV series that, you know, is on on one of these? And again, it's just, uh, you know, figuring out how you do that. And then does it have a life after these VOD platforms? Uh, and you know, that's something to see. It's always exciting.
0: I love it. Well, like I, I, again, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I could feel, it's funny. You never really became jaded. You know, I've, we speak to a lot of people in this industry and a lot of people, uh, sort of look back and they sort of lose that spark that made them interested in movies or interested in making content, interested in having to reinvent yourself. You guys, you know, as much as people want to knock you down and, have your, your family burn in fires because of the content you've made, uh, you've, 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 still continued to stay at the forefront and, uh, of what you guys do. So I think it's yes. awesome. And
1: thank I appreciate you. it. Yeah. Thank you. It's just that we started jaded, so you can't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right. So I really appreciate the time, Paul. Thank it was you my for, pleasure. Uh, for carving it out. And uh, hopefully we can find some more, uh, a caliber content to do together.
1: <laughs> I hope so too. Thanks.
0: Take care, Paul. Yeah. All take right. care. Bye. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Greenlit, the Buffalo Eight podcast. For financing questions, feel free to contact us at Bondit Media Capital at info at bondit.us. For production, development, and distribution questions, feel free to contact us at Buffalo Eight info at buffaloeight.com. We'd love to hear from you, and hope you continue listening to the podcast episodes ahead.